Vienna Ferron is a licensed marriage and family therapist and one of New York City's most sought after relationship therapists. She has practiced therapy for over 15 years and is the founder and owner of the group practice Mindful Marriage and Family Therapy. She received her Master of Science in Marriage and Family Therapy from Northwestern University and trained extensively at the Family Institute Betty Harris Center. Farron has been featured in The Economist, Netflix, Vice, and Motherly, and has led workshops for Peloton and Netflix, amongst others. Her book, The Origins of You, is a national bestseller, and she is the host of the new podcast, This Keeps Happening. Vienna, thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to invite Vienna Farron to my safe space. I've been following her online and love her content, and I want her to share all of her golden nuggets with you. So thank you for joining me in the safe space. Oh, thank you, Dr. Judith. I'm so happy to be here and have this conversation with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. Sure. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I work with individuals, couples, and families all within the context of understanding the family systems, the family of origin that we grew up in. That lens is very fascinating and important to me. People come in with a presenting problem, as you know, present day, where they're like, I want to learn to communicate better, or here's the fight that we're having, or here's the pattern that we keep entering into and we can't break out of, or I keep choosing and pursuing emotional unavailable people, right? Like everybody comes in with something that pulls them in, you know, day of, but for me, you know, the irresolution of the past plays such a huge part in the unwanted patterns that we have in our adult lives, whether it's romantic dynamics, whether it's the conflict that we still have with a parent, with a child or with dear friends, colleagues, et cetera. And so for me, my work has always looked at our presenting problems through the lens of understanding our family of origin, how we grew up, what we experienced, what we saw, what we observed, how we've internalized the things that were presented to us and taught to us, and how those things are still running the ship to this day. Yeah. I mean, obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but I have been saying like therapists get into this field of work, whether we know it or not, to resolve our own pain and to deal with our own irresolution. And at the time, I didn't realize that about myself. I was someone who very much thought my parents' divorce didn't affect me at all and we were good to go and I didn't have to look back at it. And you know, this work and working with other people was such a powerful redirection back to my own self-work and acknowledging pain that had gone under-acknowledged for decades and was absolutely running the show and keeping me me in old roles, roles that I had taken on as a little kiddo in a family system that was crashing and burning around me. So, you know, I got into this work, I think, because I saw two parents who were not a great demonstration of what you know, love and relationship and connection and intimacy looked like. And I was initially really afraid of winding up in the same boat as the two of them. We know our family systems are our first education for just about everything. And I literally went to school to get a new education on it. <laughs> you know, I was like, I gotta get, I gotta rework this a little bit because there were things there that were not okay and I really needed to certainly understand it from an education standpoint, but also to really relive and relearn so much of it in an experiential way. So, of course, my own story. I'm so glad you said that because 
you you were starting to say that like therapists go into this because X, Y, Z. And I was one of those therapists that kind of fell into mental health. I started off in a field that was heavily surgical. I was an anesthesiologist Mm -hmm. and the field in medical school that really excited me towards the end of my medical school training was psychiatry. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting because I thought, why am I so attracted to this field when I'm a Caribbean American, at least in my family culture, mental health topics were not discussed openly. My dad is a pastor. Everything was explained away in terms of spirituality. Mm -hmm. So it just seemed like the furthest topic that I should have been gravitating towards. But I think you're absolutely right. We all have mental health. We don't all acknowledge our mental health. We don't all treat it the way we do our physical health, but we all have mental health. We may not have mental health issues that we acknowledge, but we all have a mental health that we have to nurture and take care of and maintain. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's interesting that a lot of us may think that, including myself, that, oh, I don't have a mental health issue. But then you realize, wait, that was a mental health issue. Wait, that time Mm -hmm. back when I was a kid, that was a mental health issue, right? So how do we identify healthy versus unhealthy Mm -hmm. patterns in our families and our family members, especially when we're so used to, oh, wait, that's just family. Oh, that's just how auntie is. And that's how, you know, so-and-so is. How do we recognize healthy (laughs) versus unhealthy? (laughs) Bring somebody from the outside in. And I really actually mean that because I remember, it's like, you remember when you're a kid and you go over to somebody else's family eventually and you're like, whoa, they do it differently. And I remember when Mm -hmm. my husband like here's this outsider, right. Who's coming on to the inside and he's like, Whoa, like he would make comments. And I was like, Oh, that's so fascinating. Right. That like somebody who's been on the outside of the family who enters in and all of a sudden sees it through a very different lens. Cause you're right. When you're a part of that family system and this is just how we do things and this is just how it goes. And this is just how we believe and what we like, what we think, right. It's like, you don't know any different for a period of time right? Like as kiddos, we're like, this is truth. This is how it is. This is how everybody must experience it. And then you exit or you enter into somebody else's family system. Somebody else comes into ours and they're like, whoa, why does your dad talk to your mom that way? Or like, why is your sister like that? Or, you know, and they say something like that, that really sort of like ruptures something in the, oh, this is normal. This must be how everybody does it. So I say that kind of like, I'm laughing about it, but there is actually a seriousness to how do we know? Oh, by being around other people and the way that other people do things by bringing other people into our families and seeing that. And you alluded to it, right? It's like, you know, the generations that came before us, you know, I think in many ways we're, we are a part of a generation that is beginning to name things and touch things that have historically gone unnamed and untouched. It is hard to own pain and trauma. We have historically been a family kind of society and culture that tries to protect and explain or reason things away and doesn't want to say there are problems here. We know so many families have family secrets. So many families want to present quote unquote perfectly. They require something of us as a way to avoid and distract away from what is actually there. It's why so many of us 
lose our relationship with intuition, right? It's why so many of us disconnect from, ooh, something doesn't feel right. Or like, oh, that seems strange. But then the adults tell us, no, it's not. Or no, this is normal. Or no, this is not what you're seeing. And it really disconnects us from that. And so there's a real need for us to restore our intuition, our ability to see and name and trust what it is that we are experiencing. One of the best ways to do that is to kind of go back into, I I don't, I know sometimes people are like, oh, like I don't want to turn my head around and go back into my like younger years. I just want to keep my head like pointing forward and, you know, eyes on the prize. But I have always found that there is a real need to turn our heads back around. We don't have to hang out there forever, but to turn our heads back around and try to see the things clearly, to try to name what it is that we actually experienced without distorting it, without minimizing it, without maximizing it, without invalidating validating it without just doing anything to distract ourselves away from what it is that we experienced. So that piece to just kind of go back and think about an experience that stands out to you and call it what it was. Call it exactly what it was without having to add extra sentences on to explain it away or reason it away. Just name what it was and how you experienced it. If it's hard to do that for the past because you're like, well, I just don't know. Like start to name things present day as they are. Not like, well, my partner didn't show up for me because they were really busy at work, right? Just say, I didn't feel prioritized period and try it on see what it like feels like on your tongue and coming out of your mouth right to just name the thing and say the thing without going on and protecting other people i love that you know with my clients i use that emoji you know like the emoji with the little monkeys like see no evil hear <laughs> yeah. no evil speak no evil if you're finding yourself doing like this in your relationships like i don't want to see mm-hmm. that or like i'm pret- mm-hmm. i'm just Pretend I didn't see that. Nothing to see here. So you're like ignoring the red flags. Yes. If you're finding that you're being silenced a lot, you're biting your tongue, you're biting your lip a lot, you're just being silenced or you're not being heard. That's the hair, no evil. Mm -hmm. That's a quick and dirty way to be like, maybe this isn't the most healthiest situation. We don't Mm want to go necessarily based on how we feel because a lot of times we feel a certain way. But it's not fact. We want to validate how we feel, obviously, right? We want to make sure that we're in touch with our emotions. At the same time, feelings are not facts, right? So, you know, that's one of the quick and easy tools that I bring up with my clients. And then we talk about it. You know, we talk about the times they felt like they had to be silenced. We Mm -hmm. talk about how the situations where they weren't feeling heard, where they just decided to not, you know, acknowledge red flags and just, you know, let it pass. I'll let one slide, you know, and then one becomes 20, right? And I love your work talking about wounds. Tell us about some of the psychoeducation around wounds and explain yeah. that for us. Please. Yeah, right. It's like I, in, in my book, The Origins of You, I talk about five origin wounds. And I think these are really powerful because even for anybody listening right now, you know, the first rupture in your family of origin, in your family system, where you can remember not feeling worthy, not feeling valuable, not feeling good enough, right? It's like looking where these first ruptures were. So I cover worthiness, 
belonging, prioritization, trust, and safety. And it's important, right? Because when you say like, how do we look back and see it clearly? And yes, of course, you know, we remember things. It's questionable, right? Like sometimes we remember things very clearly. And sometimes we have a story that is built up that is maybe further away from what actually happened. Our perception of these things matters though, because it's the story we tell ourselves. It's the thing that kind of keeps finding its way and poking its head up and bringing us back into patterns. But for me, what I have found with clients is that everything is going to come back to one or multiple of these origin wounds. Are you participating or presenting in some way or part of a relationship where you're not feeling worthy, where you're not feeling valuable, where you don't feel like you belong, right? Where you feel othered, where you don't feel like your authenticity is allowed to come forward, where you have to trade your authenticity in order to have the relationship. So many of us do that, right? It's like, who do I think this person wants me to be? How do I need to show up? What do I need to pretend to like or not like in order for this person to want to choose me and keep me and stay with me, right? We do, so many of us do that. Whether we don't feel like a priority, right? Whether we don't feel like we can trust the people around us and so we're super hyper vigilant, whether we don't feel emotionally safe or physically safe or sexually safe, right? These are the things that we have to look at because, you know, if we find ourselves in certain patterns present day, it's going to tie it back to an origin wound where there was a rupture in one or multiple areas of this. And so I think one of the best ways for us to understand where attention is needed is to see where it is we are most reactive. I always say like your reactivity is the neon sign that points you to where you need resolution, right? Your reactivity, your activation, right? Like when it feels like, woo, I'm reactive or whoa, this is like an outsized response to something. Giving advice that I can't take. I love that one, right? Like we can tell our friend, oh, you should definitely not respond to your ex when they text you. But then when your ex texts you, like somehow you're engaging and you, you can't hold the advice that you give to others. Like these are really good indicators that there is a wound that hasn't been tended to properly and resolved. And so, yeah, for me, of course, there are things outside of our family that affect us and it can happen later on in life. But I love to look at the family system and see where those ruptures first took place so that we can not only name them, but we can witness the pain and grieve alongside of it so that we have more space to choose differently as adults from a wise, mature place. I love that. And, you know, sometimes it is a combination of both, right? Sometimes you are overreactive and sometimes the other person is the issue, right? So it could be Mm -hmm. a little bit of both. And if you're not aware of how to look at this in a holistic way, you can be very confused. You can make decisions that maybe down the line you regret. Think about how you feel, why you reacted a certain way understanding those wounds and also take into consideration other people. Yeah. I was just going to say like one of the greatest relational tools is to remember that our partners, our friends, our parents were all tiny humans as well at one point and that they also have a history and a story and complications and right. Like that there, there's something there. And I, I love that not because it's an excuse maker, but because context actually is really important for us, right. To remember that these people were tiny, humans in a, in a flawed system, right? At one point. And yes, we are coming together, whether it's romantically, whether it's through 
friendship, uh, whether we are parent to someone and we have a adult child, right? It's like, there's so much there. There's a exercise in my book, psychotherapist, Michael Kerr offers, which is to think of your mother as your grandmother's daughter and see what shifts, like how the perspective changes. And again, it's not excuse making, but it is this beautiful reminder that we are part of systems and we all have layers and complications that are coming together. And the more that we can keep that in mind in our intimate relationships, oh, the more we're going to have access points for curiosity and compassion and deeper understanding of self and other. So I I appreciate that. Explaining things is not excusing things. I'm Mm -hmm. going to say it again. Explaining (laughs) it is not excusing it. However, there's so much power in explaining it. If you understand what you're dealing with, that helps us as human beings immensely. Human, the human brain needs to know what it's dealing with. If it is confused, mm-hmm. if it doesn't know what's going on, it's going to panic. It's going to react, right? It's, I liken it to being in a room that's dark and you hear a noise and you're like, what was that? And you're just like, you start swinging and you're like, you know, got to survive. But then you turn the light on and you realize it's this little thing. It's not as bad as you thought it was. And then you don't react that way. So understanding and empathizing and putting yourself in the shoes of the people It's really hard to do this, but put yourself in the shoes of the people that you're in conflict with and try and see things from their perspective. You're not excusing it. You're understanding it. You're trying to explain it. You're not excusing it, but that helps you. And that gives you a certain power that you otherwise may not have if you don't see it that way, if you don't put yourself in their shoes. Sometimes I have clients in my office and they want to break the cycle. They want to understand how to and this generational curse, right? And they get so caught up in it and it gets them so anxious, right? I have to explain that this is something that took generations to make. So it's not going to take one session, two sessions, three sessions to break. So how can we kind of challenge that all or nothing thinking so that we feel more at peace with the progress that we're making, even if it's not as fast as we'd like for it to be? Yeah, of course we want to get to particular outcomes as quickly as possible, right? Because the idea that I can break this curse or whatever language we want to use is the belief that I'm going to experience relief. And I think sometimes we jump to the end and forget that relief actually happens in stages. You know, I think about like one small shift that someone makes, or even for me, I think about like the first time I noticed myself pivoting and I did something different. I'll give a really quick example. I was in a relationship in my late twenties. And I really thought that this was the one and his ex came back into the picture. She wanted to be back with him. And he was trying to decide whether or not to go back in the relationship with her or stay in the relationship with me. And therapist me, needless child, Vienna, needless woman, Vienna, like I'm okay. I'm unaffected. I'm bothered. I'm fine. I'm the cool girl presented in that moment. was like, totally understand. I got it. Of course, take all the time that you need. And I was pretending, I was pretending I was fine. I was pretending all was okay. I was unaffected. And I was actually being deeply affected. I was so affected. And I realized it took a little bit of time, but I realized that I was in the role as a woman, as I was as a little girl who was going through this divorce and seeing that there was so much chaos and so much conflict and so much trouble with my parents. And I didn't feel like that there was space for me, never felt like there was space for me to not be okay. And boom, there it was, right? I had to name it. I had to witness and I had to really allow the grieving to come, which was the authentic expression of the emotion that was there when I finally witnessed this. And I remember for the first time, I picked up the phone, I called him and I said, I'm actually not okay. 
I don't feel respected here. I'm not okay with what's going on. These boundaries are being crossed. And so I'm going to remove myself from the equation. For somebody who doesn't have a problem expressing themselves, they're like, yeah, what's the big deal? For me or for anybody who knows that we hide how we feel, that we pretend to be fine, that we're the people pleaser, that we're constantly protecting everybody else's emotional experience over our own, that moment was a life-changing moment. It's not hyperbolic. That was an incredible a huge life-changing moment. And guess what? It didn't come with a mic drop after it. I wasn't some empowered woman after it. I wasn't like, oh my gosh, I did the thing. No, I was like curled up in a ball on the bathroom floor, was in my bed. Like it sucked. It sucked. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's this idea that like, oh, the healing is going to be these mic drop moments. I'm going to feel so Mm -hmm. empowered. It's going to be this incredible thing. And it's not that. It's these micro moments along the way where we do something different than we've done it before. That's it. We acknowledge something that we wouldn't have acknowledged before. We express something that we wouldn't have expressed before. It's these little moments where we pivot and we do something different. We jump off the tracks and we create a new set of tracks for ourselves. And it's hard. It's not easy. It is hard, but it's that is healing. That's healing. And guess what? You know what else is healing? Going backwards sometimes, but acknowledging that you went backwards faster than you would have acknowledged it before. That's healing too, right? So this idea, we've heard it before, right? That like healing is not linear. We all know that. But the experience Mm -hmm. of it, right? That like, oh shit, like it kind of, it doesn't look this way and Mm -hmm. it's not glamorous. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just going to arrive at the end. You know, when people ask us like, is there an end? We're like, there isn't, you know, they're like, it's like, no, because different stages of life, right. Different chapters of life put us face to face with something new, something different. That's going to need a different version of resolution. And that part is so important is like, yeah, when we're 70, 80, when we're losing friends, when mortality is around us in a different way, like you're just going to come face to face with things that need our healing in a different way. And so how, patience, but also allowing yourself to see your growth and your evolution differently than you want it to look or expect it to look. Or you have to look in the nooks and the crannies of our lives and you have to give space for any little micro changes that happen to be celebrated, even if you don't feel so great on the other side of it, right? But it's like to acknowledge that and see that. And so I think the example that I gave about my own story is a really good example of that because I felt lousy. You know, I, I was like, oh, like kind of hope he comes back around. There was a period of time, right? Like it wasn't this deeply empowered state. And so that's what I would say to people is, you know, to remember that it's not linear, to, to celebrate these tiny little movements and to look for the growth in ways that you don't think it's going to look. And sometimes you see a pattern within a pattern, right? Sometimes a person won't celebrate even the little wins because mm-hmm. there was an overlying pattern of maybe in their in their home as as children or with their parents, they had to do great things to be acknowledged. They had to right. go above and beyond to get praise mm-hmm. and anything less than the best wasn't good enough, right? And so right. sometimes you find these patterns within patterns and it's an opportunity to learn from that dissatisfaction that you feel mm-hmm. even when you're making a little bit of progress because in therapy, a little bit of progress is still great. You know, it's, it's still great. You know, that's what we look yeah. for. <laughs> yeah, We huge. look at the standstills, we look at the regressions and we also look at the little bit of progress. So we have mm-hmm. to celebrate that. I always ask my experts 
to name a time in their lives where on the outside, they appeared to have it all together, all figured out. But on the inside, they were really struggling and and no one really knew. And how did they get through that? So I'm going to ask you that question. Truth be told, that was my entire childhood and, you know, Mm. teenage years. And it's not that everything was terrible and awful. It's I think we hold both truths, right? It's like I was hiding so much and I was pretending so much. And I also loved my friends and my life. I I really enjoyed school and sports and music and all of those things, right? So, So that was still true. But I was so disconnected from self. Everybody would always say like, oh, Vienna is so well-adjusted. Oh, she's so well-rounded. And what they didn't know was that my well-adjustedness and my well-roundedness was my adaptation, my protective strategy, my response to living in an environment that was deeply combative, confrontational, and unhealthy. I was in an environment where there was manipulation and gaslighting, paranoia, and it was really overwhelming. And I said this earlier, right? I was this little kid who, you know, pretended like everything was fine because the adults in my life were crashing and burning. And I didn't think that they were okay. And I didn't believe that there was room for me to not be okay. So I presented to the outside world, like I was fine, like I was okay. I won an Oscar for it because I convinced everybody and everybody would say it. And I was good at the things that I put my mind to, right? And so I really did this excellent job at pretending. And that was something that it's again, not that my life was miserable. It wasn't. It's that I had no relationship to my pain. Zero. Mm. And that, I say my childhood, my teenage years, and that was even into my 20s too, because I really was convinced that like, no, it didn't, I wasn't affected. I'm fine. Everything's okay. Like it was my way of protecting myself from connecting to my pain, being vulnerable and like touching it. I was so scared to touch my pain. I'd never done it before. And so, you know, I wish that, (laughs) I wish that it was like just a moment, but it happened to be (laughs) many decades of my life in which, I presented outwardly like I had all had it all together and I was so well-rounded and adjusted, but it was my survival. It was my survival and my adaptation. And, you know, as I've been saying, it's like, that's when we're kids, we do find a way to survive. We white knuckle our way through, we get to the other side, but it's our job as, as adults, right? To go back into that space where the pain is, where the original wounds are and to acknowledge them. Pain is clever. Pain that hasn't been addressed and hasn't been acknowledged is clever. It will find countless ways to represent itself in our lives, in patterns and relationships in whatever way it will, so that it will get our attention so that we will look at it and face it and witness it and see it and just be with it. I don't believe that pain's out to destroy us and ruin our lives. I believe pain is out to be witnessed and felt and will release its grip, loosen its grip on us if we actually tend to it. And, you know, that's what the book is really about. And I'm obviously my life story was a huge part of, of writing it and obviously working, you know, I've worked with now over 25,000 hours of working with individuals and couples and families. And that has been the truth in every single family unit, individual's life is that we've got to look back. We have to acknowledge the pain, no matter how much you think it's behind you, no matter how much you don't want to do it, no matter how many explanations you have and however the ways you want to distract yourself away from it. If you have any unwanted patterns in your life today that you cannot shake on your own, you're going to have to go back and acknowledge something that has been overlooked. 
if you don't validate your own pain, your own struggles, mm-hmm. how do you expect anyone else to? Yeah. Tell us where we can find you and uh, tell us about your book and where we could purchase it. We'd love yeah. to follow you and encourage people to look out for her, your projects. Thank you so much. Yeah. So the book is The Origins of You, How Breaking Family Patterns Can Liberate the Way We Live in Love. I really love this book and it's been so wonderful to receive feedback. It became a national bestseller. So so excited for uh, this really important book for people to read it. So wherever you get your books, whatever your favorite bookseller is, you can get it there. I am Mindful MFT on Instagram as in Marriage Family Therapy. I have a podcast, a new show called This Keeps Happening, which is a really cool show because it's anonymous guests um, who are struggling with whatever in life, relationships, a pattern, um, something that doesn't feel resolved for them. And we're strangers. I don't know anything about them. We just sit down and we see what an one time, one hour conversation can lead to. And it's really cool. It's really incredible. So wherever you listen to podcasts, this keeps happening. Um, but yeah, Instagram is a great place to find me. All of my stuff, viennafarin.com, newyorkcouplescounseling.com. Thank you so much for being in my safe space. This was so, so helpful. And we look forward to following you and listening to your podcast and your new show and reading thank your you book. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Dr. Judith. So appreciate this conversation and getting to chat with you today.